We give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you. This is the New Life program coming to you from Adventist Soul Radio. Welcome, my dear listener, to this promising session. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Pastor Kigondo Ndoke is on standby with the family segment. Today, he'll be talking about hedges in marriage. Brother Stephen will also be joining us during the Bible session to talk about remedying others. Parkland Youth Choir will start us off with the song Wavunaji. Enjoy. Adventist All Radio, the voice of hope. It's now time for the family segment. Join me as I welcome Pastor Kigundu. 
dear listener, welcome to our Abundant Life series, which is based on John 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am convinced this abundant life also involves our marriages. Our title today is Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It by Building Hedges. You know, dear listener, no one thinks he needs hedges until it's too late. See, sexual immorality hits frighteningly close to home. Without being aware of the need to protect ourselves against it, we are all vulnerable. Not long ago, I was talking with several friends. What a shocking disappointment to discover that every one of us knew personally of at least one painful marriage failure due to infidelity. Even more appallingly, nearly all of us could point to those incidents among our very close relatives. Dear listener, try an informal survey of your own. Ask friends and relatives if they know people who have fallen to sexual temptation. And if the people involved were vulnerable, who else might be? Who will be the next one about whom you say, I never would have dreamed he would do such a thing. You know these people and you have to wonder what made them fall. What made them so vulnerable? Just as it's the little foxes who spoil the vine, that is Song of Solomon 2 verse 15, so the seemingly small indiscretions add up to major traps. Many people allow themselves to admire, like, respect, and enjoy each other without giving a second thought to the progression of feelings, the danger of developing emotional feelings, and the lure of infatuations. Their feelings and emotions sneak up on them when they least expect it, and then it is too late. You see, there is a new openness to interaction between the sexes in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in counseling, even in the church. Christians touch more, speak more intimately, and are closer to one another. There are advantages to these, but also some grave dangers. One potential danger. You see, it's not uncommon in the workplace to meet someone with whom there seems to be an immediate bonding. You like them, they like you, you hit it off. You can be married 10 years and still develop a crush on someone. You think about them, find yourself talking about them, quoting them even to your spouse and generally becoming attached to them. This is a time to deal with a problem because it can become a serious dilemma. This is a time to remind yourself that this is nothing more than an adult version of the adolescent's puppy love and it will pass. It really will. The person is off limit and you should run from the situation as from a contagious disease. You may see this person in the work setting and you may still enjoy proper interaction with them. But ground rules need to be set. Never tell the person you're attracted to them. Talk about your spouse frequently in front of them. Tell your spouse about the person but use your own judgment as to how fully to explain your dilemma. When you first become aware of the impact the other person has on you, then it is time to move into action. Don't treat your new friend the way you treat an old respected friend. Refrain from touching them, being alone with them, flirting with them even in jest, or saying anything that you wouldn't say if your spouse was there. 
if hedges are constructed early enough, preferably well in advance of even meeting someone else, they can be painless and can nip marriage-threatening relationships before they get started. That's why we desperately need practical suggestion on how to build hedges that cannot be broken around our marriages. Shall we all run scared? Yes, fear is essential. There are several good protections against temptations, Mark Twain said, but the greatest protection is cowardice. Look around. Let your guard down. Don't remind yourself that you made a vow before God and men. Don't set up barriers for your eyes, your mind, your hands, your emotions, and see how quickly you become a statistic. A man may say, it could never happen to me. I love my wife. We know each other inside out by now. We have left the emotional infatuation stage that ruled our courtship and honeymoon, and we love God's way, unconditionally and by the acts of our wills. We each know the other is not perfect, and we accept and love each other anyway. We are invulnerable to attack, especially by lust that leads to immorality. But when, because he has not planted hedges to protect himself, he falls, his tune changes. Then his excuse is that he fell out of love. The old magic was no longer there. The wife was too busy with the house and kids, and his needs were not fulfilled at home. A complex litany of events takes place between the vows and adultery, and it behooves those of us who want to remain pure to examine those events, expose them for what they are, and either avoid letting them happen or avoid letting Satan use them to trick us into justifying our sin. Once we have identified them, what will we do about them? Will we pray over them, resolve to conquer them, turn over new leaves? Ironically, the answer is easier than that. We are not to win, not to gain victory, not to succeed by the sheer force of our wills, our consciences, or our determination. Paul told Timothy in Timothy 2 verse 22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the secret is we are to run, to flee, to get out, to get away. So what is the solution when temptation ranges? The only answer is to plan, to anticipate danger, to plot the way of escape. The time to build hedges is before the enemy attacks. So, dear listener, let's start planting some practical hedges. Here are pragmatic ways to guard ourselves against our weaknesses. We can plant hedges only after we have determined where they must grow. Now, I want to share with you a very interesting list that Jerry Jenkins uses to protect his own marriage. His hedge number one. He says, whenever I need to meet or dine or travel with an unrelated woman, I make it a threesome. Should an unavoidable last-minute complication make this impossible, my wife hears it from me first. Well, logic says that if I am following the biblical injunction to abstain from even the appearance of evil, I will also abstain from the evil itself. My philosophy is, if you take care of how things look, you take care of how they are. 
and Jerry Jenkins continues to say, I include dining alone with my meeting and traveling prohibitions. I don't know why, he says, but there's something very personal and even intimate about eating with someone. If that weren't true, why are so many dates centered on food? He says, I am careful about touching. While I might shake hands or squeeze an arm or a shoulder in greeting, I embrace only dear friends or relatives and only in front of others. He says, if I embrace only dear friends and relatives and only in the presence of others, I am not even tempted to make the embrace longer or more impassioned than is appropriate. If I allowed myself to embrace just anyone, even dear friends in private, I would be less confident of my motives and my subsequent actions. His hedge number three. If I pay a compliment, it is on clothes or hairstyle, not on the person herself. He says, commenting on a pretty outfit is much different, in my opinion, than telling a woman that she herself looks pretty. He says as a hedge, I stop short of the purely personal compliment because you can never be sure of the reaction. Some women would be offended at such familiarity and men who talk to women that way tend to get reputations for it. Then he says there can be hidden and seen factors that men need to take into consideration when talking to women. We may innocently think it will make a woman's day if we pay her a compliment that borders on the personal. But how do we know that perhaps the pleasure and romance and even the sex and ego strokes haven't long since evaporated from her marriage? How do we know that she hasn't been longing for just this sort of attention from her husband? How do we know she hasn't given up on ever getting any more strokes from him and that this very personal approach from us may reach deep needs of which she is hardly aware? Is hedge number four. He says, I avoid flirting or suggestive conversation even in jest. He says, I put flirtation and suggestive conversation in the same category as a loaded gun. Maybe that's because I believe in the power of words written and spoken. Idle flirting gets people in trouble because the other person may need and may want attention so badly. His hedge number five, he suggests, I remind my wife often in writing and orally that I remember my wedding vows, keeping you only unto me for as long as we both shall live. The sad fact is that there is simply not enough emphasis on wedding vows anymore. We need to face it. This is one of the most significant problems in modern marriages. Plant hedges wide and deep and tall against any weaknesses you may have. Remind yourself what price you'd have to pay for a brief season of carnal fun. The time is long past for us to worry about people snickering at us for being Victorian or Puritanical. Treat this blight on marriage as the epidemic that it is. Flee. Plant a hedge. Do something. Anything. Don't become a sad statistic. Hedge number six. He says, from the time I get home from work until the children go to bed, I do no writing or office work. He says, this gives me lots of time with the family and for my wife and me to continue to court and date. Make a decision. Set a course. Carve out the time it takes to devote to your wife and children and plant a hedge that will protect you and her and them from the devastation 
of a broken home. You know, dear listener, something wonderful happens in a relationship when hedges begin to grow. It's crucial to understand that the hedges I've discussed have been my own, tailor-made for a fun-loving, busy person who may follow his lust and forget the temptations that face him as a family man. Your weaknesses may be different. Some of them would make me laugh and think you are f- stupid, as mine may make you laugh. But the important thing, dear listener, is to know yourself, understand the dangers in your weak areas, and do something practical and concrete about them. Dear listener, plant the hedges around your marriage. We appreciate those who have given us their thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us through awrnairobi at ek.advantage.org. Here's a song, What a Day, by Parkland's Youth Choir. Yeah. 
hope that you've been looking forward to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Brother Steve Rondo. Redeeming Others Our key text this day comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 9, reading all through 12. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elmelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabites, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. The nearest kinsman redeemer scuttles off, frightened away by the personal cost of restoring Naomi and Ruth to their property and social standing. In contrast, Boaz doesn't hesitate to purchase Naomi's land or to marry Ruth. His sacrificial actions foreshadows Jesus' behavior as our redeemer the one who fully pays the cost of our sin, adopts us into his family and bestows on us eternal security. Are we thankful enough for the God's provision in Christ that we are willing to sacrifice for the redemption of others who are in spiritual and physical need, even at a great cost to ourselves? I invite you to read with me the book of Colossians chapter 1 reading verse 24. The term steward is appropriate here because these relationships are not ours. The people we live with are God's creation. The circumstances that bring us together are not directed or dictated by us. The gifts of fellowship, even the very possibility for fellowship, is not dictated by us. It's part of God's created order. Therefore, our marriages, our friendships, our families and our church communities are gifts. Precious gifts of God, our call is to steward these relationships as precious gifts. That may require our time, our money, our talents, and it will always demand our commitment, sacrifice, and love. Author and stewardship trainer Kirk Nowery identifies three components of this responsibility to steward interpersonal relationship. Number one, be thankful for people. Number two, be thoughtful of people and be trustworthy with people being the last one. Following are excerpts from this author on each of these aspects of commitment to others. Think of the people in your life, loved ones who are closest to you, extended family members, friends, acquaintances, classmates, co-workers, teammates, neighbors, and others. God has blessed you with an opportunity to share with them to experience the ups and downs of life with them. Thank Him for those people with consistent appreciation. Being thankful means putting the interest of others before your own interest, having the heart of a servant just as Jesus did. It means truly listening and truly caring in every way that is reasonably possible. And when you pray for others, be specific and focused. To be trustworthy is to be one whom others can depend on. In the stewardship of your commitment to people, this is paramount. So keep your promises, honor your word, and do what is right. Relationships must be cultivated and maintained. They don't simply happen even among Christians. Don't wait for others to take the initiative and then complain that people don't really care for you. Be proactive and be determined to make the most of every opportunity to connect with those whom God brings along the pathway of your life. In what ways are you a steward in all your relationships? 
responded through the three components of responsible interpersonal stewardship responsibilities that I have talked to you about. How do you feel God speaking to you as you ponder about these points? And what is God calling you to do for someone else's redemption? Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the relationships that you provided for me, Lord. I know they are not mine, but they are gifts that you have given us from heaven above. And therefore, Lord, I ask you to teach me to be a better steward of all relationships, be it a blood relationship, a Christian relationship, or a love relationship. Father, I thank you even for those people that you've asked me to love without measure. I ask you, Lord, to give me a prayer partner, a friend or a mentor, to hold each other accountable this week to pray for God's leading in the area of stewarding our relationships. Be with me as I become a better steward of all relationships. I have prayed all these things, trusting and believing in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It has been nice having your company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about this program, please send them to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100 Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, I have been your presenter, Samuel Mang. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed, and let's join hands to fight Corona. Oh